Hello, I'm Dr. Stephen Hassan with another episode of the Influence Continuum. And I'm delighted to invite Philip Goldberg to be my guest this week. Uh, Philip has been studying the world's spiritual traditions for more than 50 years as a practitioner, teacher, and author. He's an ordained interfaith minister, spiritual counselor, public speaker. He's presented at major venues throughout the United States and has been featured in numerous publications. He's authored and co-authored more than 25 books, including Get Out of Your Own Way, The Intuitive Edge, Roadsides, uh, Road Signs on the Spiritual Path, American Veda from Emerson and the Beatles to Yoga and Meditation, How Indian Spirituality Changed the West, the seminal biography of the life of Yogananda, the story of the yogi who became the first modern guru, and his most recent book, Spiritual Practice for Crazy Times, Powerful Tools to Cultivate Clarity, Calm, and Courage, which I purchased. And here's their plug. Uh, <laughs> and Philip has taught courses on uh, various online platforms, hosts his own podcast, which we will add a link to. And um, and very interestingly, and a big motivation for me is that he serves on the board of a new entity called the Association for Spiritual Integrity. Um, and um, Philip, I was introduced to you by Rachel Harris, who I was recommended to interview for this podcast on her latest book on on uh, on psychedelic wisdom. Uh, and uh, she's a PhD, a very interesting person, and she told me about you, and I looked at a video of your presentation and others at the Harvard Divinity School uh, meeting, and I am fascinated to know more about the Association for Spiritual Integrity and your desire with other practitioners to kind of set standards of practice and honor codes for ethical behavior. Because uh, as you know, from my background, I got harmed thinking I was on a spiritual, legitimate spiritual path with a Korean messianic figure. Little did I know it was a destructive authoritarian political cult with, with religious you know, veneer. And I think you know a little bit of my story that I was in it. I was promoted to leadership. Then I uh, fell asleep at the wheel of a van and led to a voluntary deprogramming where I learned about Chinese communist brainwashing. And I came to the realization Moon wasn't the greatest spiritual teacher in human history, uh, that Buddha and Jesus and Muhammad didn't bow to him in the spirit world. Uh, saying how honored they are to serve him, all this other BS that I was told as a Mooney. In any case, uh, Philip, we're living in very crazy times. And, oh, yes. And there's so much confusion, so much you know overload, especially through the internet and smartphones. And I just wanted to take this opportunity to to uh, cross-fertilize your experiences and mine, and hopefully uh, have uh, share some interesting insights and directions for our audience. 
It's great to be with you, Steve, and I thank Rachel, my old friend, uh, for introducing us. Uh, I interviewed her for my podcast as well, and I should point out to your listeners that I'll be interviewing you for my podcast. Uh, okay, coming that's, up. that's great. <laughs> and uh, you may get a little blowback from people who don't like me, whether it's because I'm criticizing their former guru or whatever, but that's part of the path it, yes, that we both uh, choose to take. the cross you have to bear. <laughs> Even as a Jew, a good Jew crossing, <laughs> bearing that cross. So, Philip, um, let's let's start, if we may, with the Association for Spiritual Integrity and and what its agenda is and what you your hopes are mm. uh, with this entity. Well, um, it was started a few years ago by friends of mine. Um, well, a friend of mine and other. Uh, spiritual teachers who have become friends of mine. And mm -hmm. at a certain point, I um, was asked to help out, and I found what they were doing um, important. Mm -hmm. And um, so I became uh, a board member at one point. Mm -hmm. And um, it was started for much the same reasons you began your enterprises. Mm. The, uh, as you pointed out in the intro, I've been around uh, what Harvard Divinity School is calling alternative spiritualities for uh, many decades. Mm -hmm. And I researched a lot of them in American Veda because I, I covered the whole history of all the teachers who came here from India mm -hmm. and um, and discovered along the way there were many, uh, there was much abuse of power and much um, corruption. Mm -hmm. um, that we all thought and hoped would go away when uh, books like American Veda and you know magazine articles and conferences and psychological studies and all kinds of things came out of those events of the '60s and '70s, mm -hmm. uh, but sad to say, you know, it did not go away, and um, the parade of misbehaving spiritual teachers continued mm -hmm. in different ways in different places. Mm -hmm. um, and it was very disconcerting. Sure. Um, and so my friends uh, started ASI, Association for Spiritual Integrity, to remind people <laughs> right. that ethics matter and moral behavior matters. And it matter they matter especially uh, when they're done in the name of, when they're not upheld by right. people who um, hold themselves to spiritual uh, principles and values and present themselves as teachers. Yep. Um, and so the idea was first to come up with a code of ethics, which we we did. We, we call it the uh, code of, uh, I forget. There's the, an honor code for individuals of, and for and organizations, organizations, which I think is very smart. 
Yeah, the organizational part was a later realization after we had the individual part. Um, because as we own, our the first order of focus was this world of independent spiritual teachers who kept many of whom were misbehaving. And we realized that, you know, is especially vulnerable, an especially vulnerable area because there's no organization uh, to hold people accountable, no standards being taught, no uh, systems uh, for um, accountability and so forth. Uh, not that <laughs> organizations always do a bang up job, as as right. we know, right. and they're often they often compound the problem. But at least in when when they're uh, populated by well meaning people, right. there's systems in place and right. standards to be upheld. Just as um, there are misbehaving physicians and psychologists, but there are reputable associations that can uh, hold people accountable. So we thought something like that would be necessary, but we we didn't have the, the means or the uh, inclination or the talent to be uh, an investigative organization or right. a, uh, a uh, uh, legal one or a, a uh, yeah, you punitive one. Yeah, you can't. You can't issue. You're 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 right. out of the club because right. You're and we, we there's it's not like there are licenses that you can right. re retract or something. But we felt at least to uh, educate both uh, students of spiritual seekers and teachers. Yep, that ethics matter mm -hmm. and to sort of uh, poke the bubble of the assumption in many spiritual circles that if you attain a certain level of spiritual experience or purport to, um, that proper ethical and moral behavior naturally follow. Right. And the accompanying bubble that um, teachers with some spiritual stature and influence uh, are somehow above the normal standards of right and wrong, right. Um, which is a you know a, a very easy principle to weaponize. Yes, and has been many times. And so we took on that educational role, and the idea was to get for the most part, independent spiritual teachers to sign on and say, yes, ethics matter. I pledge to uphold the principles that ASI has on its site or the equivalent that uh, of my own, and here's what it is. Right. That was the point. Then we realized there we could have organizational members, and that that requires a some tweaking of yes. the of the code, and that's what it is. And you know, subsequently, th other needs keep popping up that we can't, we're not equipped to handle, like um, enforcement, right? And uh, but we we started to have mechanisms in place so that if a person's a member of ASI, and a student comes forth and says, "I'm, I have a problem." with this teacher, 
we can at least arrange for mediation, uh, conversation, and so forth. So we, we started to put that in place. And the other thing uh, was uh, we realized that a lot of teachers would benefit very much from, uh, or teachers in general would benefit very much regardless of whether they're a part of a reputable or you know traditional organization or operating independently, uh, from having peer support, from having other teachers to talk to, yeah. uh, to help them in situations where, uh, and to help them identify their own shadow stuff and the, mm. you know the things they're struggling with. Many, even in large institutions, yeah. Catholic Church, you know, whatever, uh, often the, uh, the spiritual teachers, the clerics, the ministers, whoever, whatever their title, they don't have peers they can be open and, mm -hmm. and um, speak to in confidence yeah. uh, because of this, the pressures and so forth. Um, mm -hmm. And so we, we instituted a pilot study to come up with ways of doing that. And we're doing some public outreach, which is why you heard uh, uh, of us being at uh, the Harvard conference, and we'll be at uh, the Parliament of World Religions. Yeah, and up why in I want August. I wanted to to do this to let people know about it because I hear as a therapist from mostly the people who've been traumatized, people who've been religiously and spiritually harmed. I've had people, including myself, express, I feel like I was spiritually raped. Yeah. Uh, my trust in the divine, my trust in, in, in God was, you know, devastated. Um, even though I was praying several hours a day and my life was really in service to others. Um, I didn't, you know, I was told the self was evil. So I was doing everything for what I thought was the vision, but I didn't have any checks and balances or checklists of what kinds of things to look for. So I'm very, very supportive of this effort. And Thank I, you. I, I want to note that uh, you just had a speaker uh, there who is an attorney, Carol Murchison, mm -hmm. Who yes. I I recently met at a cult conference, the international. Oh yes, and I'm I'm happy to have played a role in your connecting with her. Yeah, and exactly. And so I got to meet her, and she is a uh, a very feisty attorney who really doesn't hesitate to stand up to power, even if it's wealthy power or threatening power, to say you harmed people and you need to stop harming people and you need to be held legally accountable. So she is yeah. representing some victims of Michael Shoemaker out in Oregon. Um, and so I haven't yet heard her talk for you. I think it's been recorded. People it's might... been recorded and it could be, I don't know if it's on YouTube yet or on our website, but it will be soon. Right. Um, but I'll just add that, you know, I went back and did my doctoral work uh, just a few years ago in my 60s. Um, and I wanted to create a, a formula for the legal system to have uh, reliable ways to understand brainwashing and thought reform and coercive persuasion, coercive per control. 
and connect it to what is illegal, which is trafficking, labor trafficking mm -hmm. or sex trafficking, which is for fraud, force or coercion. Certainly fraud and coercion is what I deal with all the time. Sometimes there's force. And uh, I did the first quantitative study on any model, which is my bite model of authoritarian control. So my hope is, is to take undue influence, which is a 300-year-old um, legal concept from British common law, Philip, hmm. but it's about property, like somebody taking over someone's mind so they give the property to them instead of their rightful heirs. I wanted to update it to include our mm. minds and our bodies and our time. Um, and I think it would create a framework legally where organizations, if they're, for example, using deceptive recruitment and saying, we're not a religion, but come, and then the next thing they're bowing to an altar like I was two weeks later. Uh, that was literally my experience that they could that group should lose their tax exemption status and hmm. you know might be held accountable. So um, you know all of those things uh, need to happen in my opinion, especially in this digital age with AI and people are addicted to their platforms and their minds are getting mush in my opinion and 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 we're losing discernment philip and that's something that i know yeah. is dear to your heart and mine as, yes. as someone of spirit someone who believes there's more to life than making money or being famous but <laughs> actually cultivating your consciousness your soul uh and helping others and practicing love uh so talk a little bit more about your, what you've learned over the decades. Um, well, um, I was drawn to the teachings of the East. I, I was, I mean, I don't want to get too autobiographical, but I was a child of the 60s and I was a seeker. I, I was raised by secular people who whose idea of religion was the opiate of the people model. Uh-huh, Marxism. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and uh, so I had no interest or uh, exposure, really, to religion. Mm -hmm. But I was a seeker, you know, once the 60s happened, uh, uh, I was part of the counterculture. And I discovered the teachings of the East, and one of the reasons I was drawn to them was they were presented in a very empirical way. Not faith-based, not you have to believe this or you'll go to hell, mm -hmm. but here are some ideas and principles. Test them out for yourself. See if they hold up to your uh, experience and reason. And more important to me was here are methods principally in, in those days uh, for me, you know, meditation and the yogic repertoire of, mm -hmm. of practices, um, try them and see if they work. And if they work, keep doing them and see if, the, you know, it holds up. And they did and for me. And so uh, I dove in. Mm -hmm. um, and my uh, choice at the time was uh, transcendental meditation, which had become uh, worldwide uh, 
Yeah, it was famous because of the Beatles. Because of the Beatles in 1968, which was around, you know, I was a product of that era. And I took to it. It transformed my life for the better. I won't go into what a mess it was before. Um, And uh, I decided I would become a teacher of it. Mm -hmm. And I did that for a few years and worked for that organization and uh, held up the founder, Maharishi Mahesh Yogi, as as a, a great teacher. Um, I was I, I could never quite uh, uh, adhere to a, a level of devotion or uh, uh, reverence and worship that other people did, and I thought I was spiritually deficient at the time. I thought I'm having trouble shaking my street corner Brooklyn cynicism. Oh, Brooklyn on Queens, by the way. <laughs> I, I later realized it saved me. Yeah, because I retained, you know, a certain degree of skepticism. And, so you uh, didn't believe in, that you could levitate and float across a room. I or took those courses. Be invisible. Walk s- through walls. Never, never believed uh, those. Well, I shouldn't say I never believed they were possible. I never believed they were possible for the likes of me ah. and and the ordinary people trying to do them whether they could were possible to you know ascetics living in the purity of the himalayas at some earlier time of history i i remained open to that possibility but i did not expect to mm-hmm. see people floating across the room or disappearing yeah um or doing any of those things. And it was presented to us as uh, that the main reason for doing it was about the expansion of consciousness. And I found that to have some merit. But the um, when those practices were announced, sometime toward the late 70s, um, they were presented publicly in a way I, I just couldn't you know, feel comfortable with it. Like a lot of other people, I, I right. said, I, I, you know, I'm, this is a, this is a sign <laughs> to right. pull, pull away yeah. from that. And it's, it was one of many, but. Um, if I may jump in, Philip, yeah, and please. just yeah. say, you know, I got out of the Moonies and I hadn't really been in any other, you know, uh, intensive, you know, uh, guru-oriented or leader-oriented group. But I made friends with people like Patrick Ryan, who was in it and went to MIU, uh, uh, Michael Downey, uh, Gina Catania, who was a child whose parents are one of the first disciples of Maharishi, Later, I was on a panel with Judith Bork, who wrote a book about having I sex know with, Judith well. with with Maharishi and um, the Mantric Fraud and Herb Benson and just so much. Uh, so I, I was s- one of Herbert Benson's subjects in uh, his first study. <laughs> yep, and then he wrote the relaxation response. Yeah. The bottom line, what I want to say now is just like life is a journey. And we do the best that we can with the information and experiences that we have. And there's room to grow and go, you know what? That 
I thought that was really something better or different than what I, my experience has told me. And I'll just comment on what you just said, and that is that there's this pattern in abusive groups of blaming the victim or, or saying yeah. the group is perfect, the leader's perfect, you're just, you have bad karma, you have a dark soul, you aren't concentrating hard enough. And you don't get it. You don't get it. And this, this, this shame and guilt yeah. thing yeah. where you just keep working harder and harder but you can never get it because the leader was never enlightened in the first place and the system itself was tragically flawed because it was about power, money, and sex and abuse of sex often of followers. So, but at the same time, as you know, yeah. because you, to one degree or another, I mean, when. When I was researching American Veda, I, I'd known about a lot of uh, abuses of power because I've been around a long time. Mm -hmm. uh, but then I found out more right. and different ones. But I interviewed people who had been uh, in those organizations that had been followers of those people. Mm -hmm. And one of the most interesting things was I, I looked at certain of those teachers as the most egregious abusers. Um, but even their followers, for the most part, would say, yeah, but he changed my life for the better. Oh, yeah. And, and, and what I learned that was of value, some people throw the baby out, the babies out with the bathwater, and other people can separate and discern right. what's useful, what can be taken away and applied. Of, that's a value and what needs to be discarded and what needs to be discarded within themselves as well yep. and so forth. So, so that uh, that's an interesting piece of the puzzle. Yeah, absolutely. And I, as a therapist, I don't want people to throw the baby out with the bathwater if they've had positive experiences right. and insights. I mean, for me, I could say I learned how to public speak in the Moonies because I was a shy person. I had never lived communally other than at, at summer camp with a few other boys. I didn't live with people from all over the world in a house. And I never fasted beyond Yom Kippur for one day. <laughs> I fasted for seven days with just water, working full days in the cult. Um, I... I uh, I had a lot of experiences. I learned how to run a business to make a lot of money for the Moonies too, selling flowers and candles. Uh -huh. But I also just want to say that there are people who have tragic backgrounds and they're like drug addicted or they're suicidal and then they meet the cult and their life gets better yeah. and they have hope. Great. For me, I wasn't that, but in the process of indoctrination and brainwashing, this is another common pattern, Philip, with my the groups that I deal with, and that is the the uh, the, the the confabulating of memory of who you were before hmm. to the dark side. So if you talk to me. Right after I got out of the Moonies, I'd be like, I was miserable as a child. 
I was a drug addict. I had smoked a few joints. You know, <laughs> I, 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 my father was abusive. It turned out when my sister challenged me, what are you talking about? I said, well, dad hit me. And she said, huh? Dad never hit us. And I'm like, yes, I remember. I was 13 and he slapped my cheek when I lied to him. And she said, oh, so he lost his temper one time? Give me another example. And I was like, but I really believe that oh, I had boy. had a horrible wow. uh, life and literally needed videos and friends and people to like remind me. I had wow. a really blessed childhood and yeah, yeah. You know, my parents were married and no gambling, smoking, drinking affairs, you know, alcoholism, nothing. It was like boringly, you know, Queens, you know, mom was an art teacher, dad had a hardware business. In any case, um, but I definitely want to encourage people to not be in a binary of all or nothing, you know. For uh, sure. It, 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 I, had, I got burned, therefore I can't do any spiritual practice or trust anyone ever again, right. but right. rather teach them tools for discernment of checking out a source for information and is there legitimacy. And there are so many people now who are like, I'm a prophet of God and I get revelations, like this whole new apostolic reformation movement with 40 million Americans of the Christian ilk, pseudo-Christian, or the Frederick Lenses who was in Sri Shimnoi but he decided that he was enlightened in the continent of Atlantis in a past life, and right. And <laughs> oh yes, how do you how do you judge when someone says I was an enlightened master in a past life, or they are now? Right, right. So, but coming back to behaviors and are they honest and do they practice what they preach? You know, are they saying renounce yeah. Yeah. the ego, but they're all about their face on every book and, you know, bow to my feet and kiss that and bring me fruit and such. And there, you know, there are uh, telltale signs. Um, and to me, one was always, um, are you being asked to uh, pull away from your family? Are you uh, are you being asked to uh, isolate yourself just in the, in the group in the cult? Are you allowed to ask challenging questions, or are you ostracized if you do? So there are as you know, I don't have to tell no, you. No, no, no. But you're telling my listeners. I want <laughs> I want them I mean, to hear you because you <laughs> you walk the walk, and you know. We're elders, so we want to pass oh, it on. Thanks for reminding me, Steve. Sorry, but we are. You know, I'm <laughs> 69. No. I think you got maybe a year on By me. a few years, yeah. But, the, but no, you're right. And, and we've learned a lot. Yeah. And what I meant when I said I don't have to tell you was I was about to say there are degrees of egregiousness. Yeah. And, and, and most of the organizations, at least the ones I'm familiar with, um, there are levels of participation available so that it doesn't have to be an, an all or nothing thing. Mm. There's um, just in most organizations have an inner, inner circle, an yeah. inner core, um, a nucleus, 
And then there's, you know, orbits around that, yep. that nucleus. Yeah, and I'm going to hold up a graphic, Philip, of the one ice. of my charts. There you Most go. people are fringe, what I call fringe members. They have no That's clue right. what people are, hap what's happening here or here or here. But they see, uh, they see people who are in the inner circle because they're the face of the organization. Right. They're the authority figures and so forth. And they often then aspire to be part of the inner circle. Yeah. And, and that aspiration uh, can lead to some people, you know, to, to many people. I've seen, I saw it. Right. Uh, being something, trying to be something they're not and not being true to themselves so they can find their way in. It's not too different. It's because it's a spiritual context. It's, it is very different, but it's not that different from trying to climb the ladder and get a series of promotions in, in, a, in a company. I, or I think something. you hit something that I, that I think is really important, which is that we have these traditions from another culture, another country coming to the U.S. and this consumer, you know, competitive thing, and how can it not, you know, become money, power, greed, you know, 92 <laughs> Rolls Royces in one location for Rajneesh, uh, so Osho. And for the, for the followers, it's not necessary. They don't necessarily uh, aspire to uh, positions of uh, prominence in a in a spiritual organization because they want to be rich, they, they may uh, have given up on, on wealth as a motivation, but they want the prestige and they want the spiritual wealth. They think, you know, by becoming a member of the inner circle, there are spiritual benefits to right. be gained. And, and then often when they get into the inner circle, even if they get in, you know, one foot in the door, Sometimes they see stuff that's very unappealing. Yep. And they're smart enough to say, not for me. Yeah. But yeah. sometimes it, it it works out to their detriment. Yeah, and I, I want to just mention a friend of mine and colleague, Daniel Shaw, who uh, spent 17 years in Siddhi Yoga, mm. Muktananda and Guru Mai. He was in the inner circle and he's gone on to become a licensed therapist, and he's written books on traumatic narcissism, mm -hmm. which I think is a really important concept to warn spiritual seekers about to learn that the guru is like vampiring <laughs> off their members because of their own insecurities, their own mm -hmm. lack of healthy sense of self. And uh, who is the person, I think you cited it in something that I read or something I heard you say where, where the, the, the leader said something like, you need to have a self to renounce it. <laughs> I, yeah, I, something like that. You have, it, you have and to grow up first before yeah, you then right. go, you know, there's more. Well, you, you, you need an ego before you can uh, right. you know, get beyond your ego. Right. But um, there is that. Uh, I wonder if that term, what did you call it? What narcissism? Uh, he calls it traumatic, traumatic narcissism, narcissism because I, it's so painful to the followers and they can never do enough. And But it's yeah. all about feeding the, the cult leader 
as opposed to really nurturing them as students. And is there such a thing as the, the uh, members, the students, having uh, traumatic narcissism? Of course. Yeah. But, but you know, it's, it's um, absolutely. No, I'll, there, there, there are definitely personality disorders. And as a mental health professional, the latest theories are about attachment disorders in the mm. first few years of life. But um, there's some profoundly unbalanced people who really need therapy and not a spiritual ashram. Yeah. Uh, they really need to. And I listened to Connie Swig's uh, mm. presentation on the shadow self, which makes a lot of sense to me. I yeah. read Jung and, and, and understand it's, a, it's an important concept to realize yes. that, um, you know, we have this self-image and we suppress the other darker elements of our of our sense of self but the healthiest thing is to shine a light on it not to pretend it doesn't exist at all absolutely and one of the more the symptoms of a being in a cult-like situation is you're discouraged from doing that. right it, it's it's not uh it's not considered spiritually healthy right to examine such things but the the other, and one of the pieces I found, and, and I think I felt prey to this myself mm -hmm. back in the day, was um, being part of a, a, a spiritual organization, especially a messianic one that has big aspirations and mm -hmm. is going to change the world mm -hmm. uh, by moving up in those organizations of becoming a representative or a teacher or an administrator or anything where you're part of the a power structure, uh, it really does feed your any delusions of grandeur you have. Mm -hmm. Who doesn't want to be saving the world? Right. And, and that's a big part of the motivation of being in there, that feeling of superiority that we have the answers and we're, you know, we're, we're really making the universe run. <laughs> I'm glad you're laughing. And, yeah. And is. we're going to, you know, usher in the, the, you know, the, the new age of, you know, Aquarius or whatever. Yeah, whatever it is. Uh -huh. That's a very intoxicating thing. Yeah. So, Philip, what what can someone do? Let's say they were in a meditation cult, they were abused sexually, or they were taken advantage of, isolated from their family and friends, etc. They're now out. They 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 miss meditating, but they are still kind of it's connected to a traumatic experience. Yeah. What words of wisdom can you share? Um, peer support is, I think, you know, a terribly important thing. Mm -hmm. When I pulled away, and you know, I don't hold my experience in the TM world in the 70s to be on the level of some of the very egregious things uh, uh, that I've seen victims mm -hmm. go through. Uh, but it was difficult to pull away and everything. But fortunately, it, it was happening in large numbers. So. Right my closest friends, we were all sort of pulling away at the same time. And decades later, they're still my closest friends. So we had, we could talk and we could ha 
help each other and laugh at each other and, you know, go get therapy if we needed it or wanted it, you know, just help each other adjust to, you know, needing a job for the first time <laughs> and and whatever. So it, it, I, I'm extremely grateful mm -hmm. that it, it, it worked out that way for me. And I've seen it, you know, with people from other groups as well. Having people to talk to is terribly important. And often there's value in having people who are in the same world as you. Yes. But there's also value in having one of the things that I learned so much just because I, I was a professional writer and, and I was researching books like American Veda, I ended up having hundreds and hundreds of conversations with people. Mm -hmm. And I learned so much discovering uh, the commonalities and differences in my set of experiences versus the people who were with, you know, Swami so-and-so or, right. you know, this teacher or that teacher. It's very useful. And I'm hoping that, you know, groups like uh, Association for Spiritual Integrity, conferences mm -hmm. like the ones, you know, pre-pandemic, there were, you know, wonderful conferences like the Science and Non-Duality Conference, uh, groups like... Uh, you know, there were a lot of groups that bring people together. Um, and I think it's terribly important. And mm -hmm. the work you're doing is terribly important. You probably have ways of referring people to experts to get help if they need it. I think that's one of the things we'd like to eventually be able to do with at ASI is to have resources that we can refer people to, uh, mentors, counselors, counselors. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, mediators and that sort of thing. It's terribly important but because so much of it, it you keep to yourself. Right. And, and people are afraid to speak out. They're afraid of getting further ostracized. And in some cases, you know, even being threatened. Yes, uh, and, exactly. And, uh, that's, you know, the, the more egregious kind of uh, cultish Kind of yeah, on the I've influence seen. continuum, the the extreme ones, uh, definitely, uh, you're a non-being if you leave, you and and have the right to be exterminated in some uh, cases, or threatened yes. and uh, sued. Sued, I've been threatened yeah. to be sued more times than I could yes, imagine. Yes. And that's where people like you with your expertise and Carol Murchison, as uh, who you pointed mm -hmm. out, because she's coming from a legal yep. uh, you know, perspective. Uh, my friend Connie Zwag, you just mentioned, is coming from a psychological perspective. These are terribly important resources. A lot has been learned since the 60s and 70s. You know, the world of transpersonal psychology was populated by a lot of people who were very interested in Eastern spirituality. Mm -hmm. And they became, you know, but they're also trained psychologists. So that world has produced a lot of good insights and a lot of reputable people. It's definitely in progress, um, but I, I reflect back. So Yogi Bhajan, I just did an interview with a former teacher from yeah, Belgium. Yeah. Um, but I knew about him using hypnosis and raping his female followers back in the 80s when I first... Um, I wish I had. I would have mentioned it in American Veda. Yeah. I learned well, about it subsequently. But um, I, I guess the, 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 
The fear that I have right now, Philip, if I can state it, is that people are being pushed with this virtual reality is more real than life. Mm. And so it doesn't matter what happens here. It doesn't matter if the global climate falls apart because it's what we have in our helmets is more real. And it's like, no, 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 no. Scary. Especially understanding that there are algorithms based on 5,000 data points of our personal interests. Yeah, yeah. And that they can be tweaked by authoritarians to make us... That's my concern. Yeah. Um, you know, the... <laughs> Look, you and I are old enough to remember, you know, when television was going to be this gift to mankind, but it had its downside. And black and white TV was my first yes, experience. And there right. were there was so three channels plus PBS. Every <laughs> technological advance. I mean, I'm better informed. Right. than I ever was. And I like to think I'm using the media available to me wisely and with mm -hmm. some discernment. But I also know even I can be misled because it is so, the techniques of propaganda and manipulation are so sophisticated now. It's not like, you know, in the 60s when you know there were the John Birch society you know had to give you a pamphlet or something right. they can you know the crazies can get into your head and the, the authoritarians can get into your uh, people's minds very easily and uh, put words in people's mouths very convincingly right and know the buttons to push right and it's that is makes us the need for discernment and clear thinking and um, evidence-based reality. <laughs> yeah, and values, knowing values. Yes, yes, like, don't yes. do to others what you don't want done to you. Like, honesty. Yes. Like, Some service. of the old virtues. Uh, and, you know, they hold up. Yeah. They really, and they make you feel good. Like it feels good to to matter and to and to help others in a genuine way where you're being conscious about it and it isn't from a guilt feeling or needing to get spiritual brownie points, but just doing it because it's the right thing to do. But when it comes to uh, abusive spiritual leaders and teachers, they have to have their feet held to the fire yep. of ethics and morality. It's If a corporate CEO or a lawyer or a doctor does something terribly unethical, not only are there enforcement procedures, but nobody expects them not to. Right. They're, they're supposed to behave ethically and responsibly. Spiritual and religious leaders often get a pass. Yes. They're often held to be above that. Yeah. Or if, and, and if they do, in cultish situations, when they do something that on the surface is clearly unethical, 
it's very you could they make excuses for it. Yeah. In the corporate world, if somebody does something unethical to serve the bottom line, it's not acceptable. Right. Except, you know, among stockholders, perhaps. Right. But even there, it, you know, this it's known to have bad consequences. Spiritual and religious teachers are often held to be above such yeah, things, I, and that's dangerous. Right. So you mentioned beware of any group that isolates you from your family, your friends. I I was asked to throw out all my original poetry as a oh. sign of my commitment to God. Like, that's a big, you know, wait a minute, why would God want me to throw out my gifts yeah. that God gave me in the yeah. first place, but I had no frame of reference to say no to authority. And I'd like to take a minute just to share a resource to you. Do you know Ira Chaliff's work, Philip? No. He wrote two very important books. One's called Intelligent Disobedience, about how guide dogs for the blind are first taught to be obedient, and then they're taught when to disobey their master, like not mm -hmm. walking them into traffic. Oh, fabulous. They, you know, so there's that. And then he wrote a, a, a follow-up book called Courageous Followership. And mm -hmm. it's exactly what you were just talking about, where the followers need to hold the leadership accountable to the mission and they should feel free to voice, even at risk of losing their job or whatever, that they should be courageous. And he's actually teaching it in the military, which I think is a- He should try the Supreme Court. Uh, yeah, the Federalist <laughs> Society is a closed system, unfortunately, with an extremist Catholic agenda, which I wrote about in The Cult of Trump, uh, Forgive the Shameless Plug. But that's my last book is about that, you know, political cult that uses religious groups, mm. uh, including Scientology and Falun mm. Gong and and the Moonies and uh, Ramtha, the channeling cult of Jay-Z Knight. Um, so talk to us. Uh, we have a few more minutes. So what one of the things I like is you quote Thich Nhat Hanh and you also talk about some basic meditation mm. uh, techniques that that are mm. valuable for people to use in these crazy times. Yeah. Um, after 53, five, 55 years of practicing meditation, mm -hmm. um, I still value it. Uh, even with everything I've learned about the imperfection of the guru that I once held to be, I never held him to be perfect, but close to it. And you're talking um, about TM, yeah. And I so still, what's your that, mantra, Philip? Can you say, or you you've been programmed uh, honestly, to not to? Uh, no, I I will respect the privacy of those things, um, and I've modified it since 1968 uh-huh uh, but um that piece of it the the meditation is you know that's ringo Starr, who learned you know tm back in 1968 i quoted him as saying 
They can take me house, they can take me car, but they can't take me mantra. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he's, and it's like, it's a, it's a value, not the mantra as such, but the methodology. And so I'm a big believer that uh, people should find meditative practices that work for them, that suit their personality, their lifestyle, and so forth. Um, and that's often an individual thing. And that requires discernment, because especially now, back in the day, as you know, there were very few alternatives. Yeah, you know, if you want to learn to meditate, you didn't have that many choices. Right. Now you can, you know, click a mouse and have fifteen different things at your disposal. At least, and so um, it requires discernment, mm-hmm. and there are nuances. There's different between, and of course, the popular press conflates everything. So all meditation is the same, mindfulness meditation, interchangeable terms, but they're not. They're right. different practices, and there's different methods the you know the world of uh contemplative and meditative practices is very old very diverse right. even in india just within buddhism just within what we think of as hinduism just in the yoga world there's so many right. different forms so people should be careful and discerning and find qualified teachers to learn from and not just pick something up in a self-help magazine uh, and 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 right choose what works choose what has where there's evidence where you have a friend who has practiced it and learned it with a reputable teacher who seems to have at least some connection to a, a reputable lineage as opposed to something he just made up. Yeah. Well, depending on the lineage. Concerning about Maharishi, I do want to just say state categorically that the the former members have taught me about the mantra fraud where they were giving the same Why mantra. do they think it's a fraud? Oh, because yeah, they why were, is that a, what ah. what year you were and you were initiated and it's the same thing but you're told that it's unique to you. No, that was That's That's an interesting thing, Steve, because back in the day, the way it was presented, people thought that there was a mantra for every human being, Mm -hmm. different from another. It was never the case, and most of of the responsible teachers would never have made that claim. There were categories of you know, having to do with age. Right. And 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 so a lot of people have, of course, the same mantra. There's only a finite number of them. Right. But when I <laughs> but asked the impression people, was given. Right. No, the impression was given. Yes, and I think it right. was kind of a, a deception from my, you know, frame. Um, but a lot of uh, th- there are studies that show mantric meditation isn't for everyone, and if people were having adverse reactions to repeating the mantra, they were told do more because they were unstressing, and that was causing very <laughs> serious things. I like to meditate to my breath; that's what works best for me. You mentioned that uh, in the book, but mm-hmm. I guess for me, I am a little bit more strident about if I know the uh, a guru who claims to be celibate is screwing a young female but is holding his disciples accountable I have I can't follow that person and respect no, them. that's and you I, I agree with you yeah 
But there's a difference between following the person and doing something they recommend that may have value. I have I have very negative ex- feelings about because he, him. So I, I you forgive obviously me. do. No, but uh, it's you okay. obviously do. You had you had a set of experiences that lead you. I was to never that in conclusion. it. I just no, uh, there you, are too many people that I've worked with who were harmed by it, and especially children. And right now in MIU, and I don't like David Lynch spending so much money trying to to promote it <laughs> and, or bringing. Bringing Paul McCartney and Ringo back into TM, even though they distanced now, for so many years. These are grown people who have uh, their own sense of discernment, so they obviously have found I, value in it. I would, I would ask them to watch David once, uh, wants the fly documentary I, and learn know what, about Steve? the bike. I'd model. be shocked if they didn't. I would be shocked if they did, and still and want you know to what? affiliate. In my, in my experience. They may say, well, that's too bad, but I still value my meditation. It works. So That's certainly how I so feel. So I'll come back to Herb Benson, who said, you don't need that mantra. You can pick any word and use it, and, and it has and the same effect. Really, there's really very little evidence for that, Steve, if you look into it. There are studies that show there are differences. Oh, with, with, which another on conversation which, then? Yeah, because yeah, I'm yeah. open to yeah, uh, yeah. learning think, uh, new perspectives <laughs> on things, for sure. Yeah, yeah. but I also want to say that uh, it's never okay in my book for a teacher to have sex with a a, a uh, disciple. A couldn't agree more. Therapist to have sex with their patient. It's just not the power differential is too great. Yeah, and uh, and and it's just not okay. Even if the leader says it's not sex, I'm doing this to heal you. You know, open your legs in the stirrups and 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 meditate, and and will, you'll be blessed. Yeah, and you'll be blessed. It's just sad. That's it so is. Many it's people. very sad, and the revelations keep coming. Yeah. In in some cases, revelations of things that happened 50, 60 years ago that we didn't know about. Yep. And it, it is upsetting. It's terribly upsetting and disturbing. And, you know, we have to face it and not shy away from it and deal with it in a in a honest and open way. Yep. Well that's said. That's what we're trying to do. Well said. That's exactly, that's, I'm so glad to meet you. And I want to circle back to Life is precious. Humans are precious. We need to take care of one another. We need to take care of our planet in a responsible way. And we have an obligation to uplift people's consciousness, to evolve to, to, to greater uh, states of awareness and, and, and reject, in my opinion, now I'm preaching, this you know, flagrant consumerism, you know, I need, you know, to be an influencer on TikTok and have a million followers to be a valuable person on earth. It's like, no, you don't. You don't need, have a few close friends, you know, have meaningful work and life and, you know, that you're contributing, you know, it's real. And there's many ways of doing that. The, the book you held up before, Spiritual Practice for Crazy Times, my last chapter talks about 
the importance of um, first taking care of yourself, but not leaving it there. Right. We all need, as you said, to raise our awareness to live fulfilling lives. But then we we are citizens as well right. as uh, individuals, and we have responsibility for one another. Right. It's terribly important. And the funny thing about that is all the studies, as you probably know, show that when you do perform service to others, you're the first beneficiary. It's very true. <laughs> it's very true. Yeah. People ask me, how can you keep doing this for 47 years? Isn't it hard? And I say, it's hard, but it's so fulfilling that it's yeah. reinforcing to know that I have something unique to help another human being to, you know, get their power back, to get their self back, and to realize that it was the, what they were influenced by was the problem and not them inherently, and to reconnect them with family and friends and their 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 um, heart work uh, is, you know, very fulfilling. So Philip Indeed. Goldberg, thank you. Your website you, is philipgoldberg.com. You serve on the board of the Association for Spiritual Integrity. Uh, check out Philip's books and uh, we'll be in touch. And I okay, to spiritual, uh, the ASI is spiritual-integrity.org. Right, and the way it works here is we will do a, a transcript of what we just talked about. We'll write a blog, we'll send you a draft, and you can add all the links that you like. And look for Steve on my Spirit Mattered yes, podcast. Yes, we'll put, it, we'll put a link to that, <laughs> too. Thank you okay. so much, Philip. Thanks, Bober. Steve. It's Take a pleasure. Keep up the good work. And you, too. Bye. That's it for today's episode of The Influence Continuum. I've been your host, Dr. Stephen Hassan. Theme music for the podcast is by Nasser Malik. To keep up to date with me and happenings that I think are important, please visit my website at freedomofmind.com. There you'll find in-depth articles about cults, mind control, and other relevant topics. You can also find me on Twitter and Instagram at CultExpert. If you want to develop a comprehensive understanding of these topics, I highly recommend my books, Combating Cult Mind Control, Freedom of Mind, and The Cult of Trump, in that order. These books are a culmination of 45-plus years of experience and will really help you grasp the complex web of undue influence. I have also launched a new nine-hour online course for anyone interested in a deep dive into issues related to recovering from undue influence in all forms. While this course is designed for clinicians, everyone can benefit. If you're a former member, I congratulate you for your bravery and invite you to use the hashtag IGOTOUT and join our online community at IGOTOUT.org. Remember, love is stronger than mind control. And thanks for listening.